Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. Uh, you know, one of our favorite guests that our whole community has had was Jeff Goyne. So, Jeff, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, John. Been too long. It has been too long because I remember uh, somebody gave me your book, um, The mm -hmm. Art of Work, and mm -hmm. it was phenomenal. And we did a podcast. If you guys want to go back and listen to it, it's Eternal Leadership Forge Last Zero. Seven eight, and we're up to three hundred and twenty four. So it's been a while, yeah. but the title was "What if you knew your purpose?" Yeah. And recently, Jeff, you actually had sent out an email, and that I thought was really thought provoking because so many people right now, as we're looking at what's happening to us, around us, in our families, economically, and we're trying to think of, hey, maybe I need to make a pivot. I need to do something maybe completely different. I need to, because of what's happening, reinvent myself. And the title of what you put out there is Don't Pivot. And just a little background on Jeff. You've always just had this passion for words and writing. Mm -hmm. And so imagine somebody who has this passion who's sitting in their apartment. Your wife was working, right? Mm -hmm. Supporting mm -hmm. you through this time. And you were just trying to make it happen trying to get projects and just better. You just knew that you were a writer. This is what you were called to do. And now you've inspired probably well more than thousands of people to become writers. I read one of uh, Jeff's books about becoming an author. And my first, I was just telling Jeff, I'm really excited because he was part of the inspiration, but my first book just went to the publisher. So you guys will, that'll be out in your hands. Hopefully everybody out there in three to four months. So before we dig into what you wrote in Don't Pivot, because there's some amazing advice in there, Jeff, I would love maybe for you to little tell a little bit of the backstory on how maybe you really got in touch with kind of who you are. Because observing you from afar, what I have noticed is you are really in touch, I think, with your core values, your core beliefs, you know, who you are, what your passions are. And my guess is that that was a journey to get there. Hmm. Thanks, John. Yeah, I feel like I'm still on that journey. I'm somebody who is very interested in self-discovery, personal development, and I believe that activity follows identity so that as you better understand who you are, that's going to affect how you show up in the world, the work that mm -hmm. you do, and how you live out your purpose and calling. So my story is that I've always written, always loved words in a lot of different ways. I've always made things from drawing Garfield comics as a kid to starting rock bands in high school and college to eventually touring the country with a band after college and then ending up in Nashville after I quit the band, which is not usually the order that those things happen in. And uh, I started working for a nonprofit. It was my first job, first real job out of college after the band. And um, I ended up working in marketing because I was a writer and it was the only job that I could get. And I realized that marketing is not forcing people to do things that they don't want to do. It's not about manipulation or coercion, which is what I thought. But mm. rather, it's about helping worthy ideas spread, at least the kind of marketing that I was doing and interested in doing, working for a nonprofit missions organization. And so I realized that we had these wonderful tools available to us to help ideas spread. And I thought, well, I have some ideas. You know, as I was learning about marketing, running this team for this organization, reaching millions of people every year, uh, I thought, well, I've got some things that I want to say. And so I used those skills that I'd been practicing for seven years and I started a blog and it started to take off and I started 
teaching other people about writing and creativity and marketing and some of the things that I had been learning over the years and sharing that on a blog. And it very quickly grew into uh, an audience of people. And I started publishing books and teaching online courses. And I was very quickly able to quit my job and do this full time. And I've been doing it ever since. Uh, How long but, has that been? When did you go full time, Jeff? Uh, about seven years ago, I was working full time while running the blog and online business for about a year and a half. So there was a bit of a bridge that I built. That's the story. And for me, the journey of self-discovery was uh, an iterative one. It was a one of gradual self-discovery. And there were a series of epiphanies over time. It reminds me of a story that I heard from Stephen Pressfield once recount a time when Walter Matthau was at a party in Hollywood and he met this old actor and uh, Walter Matthau said to the young actor, he said, um, hey, how's it going, kid? And the actor goes, oh, it's going okay. I'm just waiting for my big break. And Walter Matthau laughed and he said, kid, it's not the one big break. It's the 50 breaks that'll make you. And I feel like my journey has been a series of breaks and opportunities and strokes of luck and really doors that I've stepped into each with its own lesson and discovery along with it that's helped me better understand who I am and therefore the work that I'm meant to do in this world. Yeah. And when you talk about lessons, as you did different things, attempted different things, and maybe people externally would say, okay, that was a success. That was a failure. Because I, I think that is, uh, that doesn't frame it correctly for us to keep moving forward. You know, as you went through the ups, the ebbs and the flows that happened to us, how were you approaching it from a mindset perspective? So I grew up in a lot of chaos and I carried with me until very recently two major motivators that helped me achieve most of my so-called success. And those two major motivators were fear and shame mm. and fear of not being enough, not achieving all of it going away and shame of never feeling good enough. So always having to kind of push myself forward. So I had a very unhealthy drive for success. And to be frank, I spiritualized it. I dressed it up in other language. But at the end of the day, there was this deep sense of not enoughness that was driving and motivating me. So I was always feeling anxious. So if I achieved a great success, I would be afraid that it was all going to go away tomorrow. And so I would just keep pushing, pushing, pushing. And if I had some sort of failure, it would just reinforce the thought that I was not good enough and I would have to keep going. A couple of years ago, I had a bit of a, an existential crisis where all the things that I thought would make me happy didn't. And I had to find a self, find a sense of identity outside of the things that I did. And I was secretly afraid that it was going to immobilize me, that I would not be motivated to work to do anything because I had spent literally my whole life achieving, whether it was good grades or uh, being a good kid uh, or making money or helping other people, whatever it was, it was all based around the fear of I am afraid of not being enough. And so to mm. just be, to just be okay with me, to let go of some of the external metrics for success and achievement was a very scary thing, but also a necessary thing for me to do. And I didn't just end up sitting on the couch eating potato chips, although I did that for a little while. What I did do was liberate my sense of identity from my activity so that I was free to show up in the world and do the kind of work that I wanted to do, however I wanted to do it, without 
my identity, my self-worth being attached to the outcome of those efforts. But that's been a relatively new discovery. Yeah, what, you know, I can relate to that. I'll never, you know, before my accident, I don't know if you remember that, but I spent almost two years in the hospital. This was seven years ago. Right up leading that accident, I can completely relate to what you just said. I, I was at the top of my career financially, my title, the boards, you know, all the external stuff that would, people would say, whoa, crushing it. I've yeah. never been more miserable. Sure. I was operating of a place of fear. I wanted other people's affirmations. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would describe where I was in that moment of a place of just smoldering discontent. And I didn't know why. Mm-hmm. Looking back on it now, it's because my identity was completely external. Mm-hmm. And it was almost as if uh, that person I saw in the mirror, mm-hmm. who I understood myself to be at the time, was so different than the person. I'll never forget a coach asked me when I said, hey, I got to figure out who I am. Then maybe I can figure out what I should do next so I can you know, be happy. Mm-hmm. And what he asked me, Jeff, he said, well, what if you thought about it differently? What if you asked yourself who God made you to be? And what did he make you to do? And I got, it might sound subtle, but for me, actually digging into that and closing this gap between, I guess, my real self and my true self Mm. was like this long journey of multiple years. It wasn't like I read a book and filled out a survey and like, oh, close the gap. Mm. But for you, you, you just talked about doing that for yourself. What, what advice would you give to people out there that just, related to what you just said and goes, yeah, you know what? I think I got a pretty big gap. Yeah. I read a great book about this by Parker Palmer years ago called A Hidden Wholeness. A Hidden Wholeness. Parker Palmer is, uh, he's a Quaker and Mm -hmm. a a great author, poet, and activist. I love the way he talks about things. I mentioned um, his work in The Art of Work, which you mentioned before. And in that book, he says, before I can tell my life what I want to do with it, I need to listen to my life telling me who I am. Before I can tell my life what I want to do with it, I need to listen to my life telling me who I am. So, you know, that's sort of step one. But most of us, especially men, middle-aged men who are in this achievement stage of life, and certainly women as well, but I know a lot of guys who especially struggle with this, where we sort of make our plans, right? And then we, and we go, once I get all these things, I'll find a way to be happy with them. Or we right. even tell ourselves, uh, no, I, you like, uh, this won't make me happy. But in the back of your mind, it is the thing that is driving you. And to be frank, you know, lots of times in the Christian world, people just lie. They just lie to themselves and other people. This is for the glory of God. And this is what God made me to do. And really what's driving you is ego. And ego is just a construct. It's a story that I tell myself about who I am, but it's something other than your true self, your soul. C.S. Lewis said, we don't have a soul. We are a soul. You are a soul. So your soul is your true self. There's no description. There's no thing that describes who or what you are except loved, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so as soon as you add an adjective to the thing that you call me, you're operating in ego, meaning I'm creative, I'm special, I'm successful, I'm smart, I'm good with money, I'm good with numbers, I'm good with people. These are all stories about who you are. There is a self that exists independent of anything you can possibly do, and I believe it is the journey of your life, it is the purpose of your life to keep chipping away at layer upon layer 
to get to that true sense of it's love. I mean, it's just love. And if you follow the mystics, if you read Mother Teresa, if you pay attention to the people who seemed to get there, they yeah. didn't want anything. They didn't need anything. And yet they, their lives were still imbued with deep purpose. I mean, Mother Teresa, how many millions of lives did she impact and inspire? And she was the one who said, we can do no great things. We can do no great things, only small things with love. So how do you get there? You start with the realization that there is nothing you can do or attain or acquire outside yourself that will make you happy or whole. And in this uh, other book that I mentioned by Parker Palmer, A Hidden Wholeness, uh, he talks about integrity. Integrity is wholeness. And he says, it is better to be whole than it is to be good. And in this book, he talks about counseling and coaching men and women, CEOs, leaders, people all over the world who have had major moral failures. And he said, not one of these people who embezzled millions of dollars from their company and cheated on their spouses and did all these things that in some ways devastated their lives and their careers, not one of them was a psychopath. Not one of them was an evil person or a person without empathy. They were all normal, nice, good people who gradually over time started to tell a story about themselves that was not true to their, their inner light, mm -hmm. right? And he says, no amount of outer light can illuminate inner darkness. No amount of outer light can illuminate inner darkness, meaning if there's, and darkness is not evil, it's just things that you're not talking about, things that you're not being honest about. And so to be whole means to be honest and true about who you really are and to let that show up in your life honestly without fear or apology. And maybe sometimes with a little bit of fear. So the point is, over time, what happens is if you are living a life that is out of sync with who you really are, and maybe you're doing good things, maybe you're pastoring a church or running a nonprofit or taking care of a family, but there's something inside of you that wants to be expressed in the world and you don't feel like you can give yourself permission for that, over time, you will find subtle ways to get what you want. And what will happen, uh, Palmer says, is you actually become disintegrated. Your outer life and your inner life start to pull apart. And what happens when something gets disintegrated? It mm. falls apart. You have a meltdown. You act out in these crazy ways. You have a, a nervous breakdown. You do what, uh, you know, I, I saw this guy in the news years ago who was running this very successful nonprofit, had a total uh, nervous breakdown and runs around naked through his neighborhood just freaking out because the pressure is so much. So be careful. <laughs> be careful telling yourself, well, I can't do that. Because a lot of us, I think many of us, especially, you know, kind of in, in the world that we're talking about here, uh, in the world of faith and spirituality, John, many of us are busy doing good things that are actually outside of our own integrity. It is better to be whole than it is to be good. Because good is this idea, well, other people think this is good, therefore it's the right thing for me to be doing. And it may be good, but it may not be good for you. And it may be right but it may not be right for you. And so I think it really begins with being honest about what your soul is saying. What is that still small voice? You talked about it, John, is what does God want for me, for my life? I only get one of these. And so what needs to be expressed through this work of art called my life? That was really deep. I just, 
I hope you guys can hear me. I'm actually typing in the background because I'm taking notes because this is so awesome. Uh, but it makes me think of a concept of whose voice are you listening to? Some of my clients that are probably most conflicted about who they are, how they're trying to show up, what they're trying to accomplish, they're listening to the voice of they. There's like what I call the tyranny of they, yeah. right? They expect me to do this. They expect me to show up this way. They expect me to honor these values, right? What does my family think I should do? My parents think I should do. And how do we actually cut through all this, right? These expectations that are being pushed into us seemingly constantly and actually listen to like what you said that, you know, that true voice, like what, you know, some of the things I've challenged people to do is say, Hey, what do you want? What's the life that you want to create? Write all that down and then say, okay, what are the elements that are in here that, you know, as we go into prayer and understand who God is, who he made you to be that are in alignment, right? How do we pull some of these things out that are already on your heart? And what if we acknowledge that maybe that's not on your heart as a selfish desire, but it's actually maybe something God put on there and you're not looking at it accurately yet. Mm. What I'm just trying to do is get people to look at what's happening inside from a different perspective and bring it up in partnership with the father to find some of those true pieces that are in there. Mm. But I got to tell you, there's as, especially I got to tell you as I found my Christian clients have a much bigger problem than this, what, what maybe you would say with a secular client. Yep. And I think that these elements of fear and guilt and shame are coloring almost even how we're even hearing some of these different sounds. It's absurd. It's absurd to believe a construct that says the creator of the universe lives inside of you. The greatest source of love lives inside of you. Same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of me, right? Mm -hmm. It is absurd to me and I get it and I understand it and I, and I have dealt with it, but it is absurd to me to say the very source of love is living inside of me and I'm afraid that the voices that I hear inside of me are bad, they're wrong, they're selfish, they're evil. It is a strange way to trick yourself into never trusting yourself into always defaulting, because I did this for a long time, always mm -hmm. defaulting to a performative religious practice. I'm not talking about faith. Performative religious practice means I'll never be good enough. There's something broken and evil inside of me. No matter how many times I've been baptized, no matter, no matter how many confessions I've said, in spite of the literature that I say I believe, in spite of the things that it says about me, and that will keep me shamefully trying to earn my way into something I already have. Mm. And so, of course, you can never trust yourself. And of course, you can never trust even the most loving thought or idea that you have because there's still this conditioned response in you that says, there must be something wrong with me, therefore, I'm going to go find it. It's a wonderful way to be unhappy. And here's mm -hmm. the really funny thing about selfishness, right? <laughs> a wonderful um, way to be unhappy. Yes. <laughs> good statement. Good luck. Have yeah. fun. Is it working for you? Yeah. I mean, we don't need to get into, you know, deep things, but we might... Um, that construct of religion is really based on feudalism. It's really based on a king at some point was in charge of peasants and he was the Lord, 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 Lord. That, that's where that word comes right. from, you know, King James era uh, monarchical systems. And you worked for the good of, of the king, right? 
And uh, there were plenty of seasons in church history where you worked for the good of the church. And the church, the cathedral, the castle, right, was adorned with beautiful things. And that's where God dwelled. And there were a handful of people that got to uh, enjoy all those riches with God. And then everybody else was taught to work really hard and they were never good enough. Uh, And they were supposed to help the people at the top. Now, if you actually, if you want to believe the New Testament, uh, we're all priests, right? We're all children of the Most High. Uh, We're all children of God. And so you're all dwelling in that castle and that wonderful place. Uh, So if you want to get into the religious side of it, well, that's an old construct based on keeping you in line, right? And it's not true. And if it's not helping you and it's not making you happy and it actually doesn't come from the religious text that you say you believe, what's the point? Mm. The other thing about selfishness is nobody wants to be selfish. I don't want to be selfish. That's bad. Guess what? Guess what? Humans are selfish. You wake up in the morning and one of your first thoughts is about me. You go to bed and one of the last thoughts you have before you go to bed is about me. And whether that's right, whether that's wrong, you can spend a lot of time trying to not be selfish and go crazy. I think the best way for you to discern the voice of truth, because there are plenty of lying voices in your mind. There are plenty of deceptive thoughts and emotions and feelings. I'm not saying you just trust everything that comes up in you, but how do you discover truth? You test it. And so if you're worried about being selfish or wrong or doing something foolish, honestly, for me, one of the best exercises was to try some things. I'm having this thought, I wonder if this is selfish. Is this bad? Is this wrong? It's coming up inside of me and good things have come up inside of me. And so what if I just pursued this? And everybody has their own process for doing that. And I think that's wonderful. But as you begin to test some of the thoughts that come up inside of you, you begin to see which ones are true and which ones are not. And I know plenty of people go, well, this is for me. This is not from God. Therefore, I can't trust it. You know, you said something on our last podcast, and this was now five years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, You were one of my first ones. And I have it written down. It's here next to my desk. I talk about it all the time, and it's from you. And it's guided me. And you said to me something that was a, a complete paradigm shift. And now you said, John, action begets clarity. And people get that reversed. And because I got to tell you, for myself, I was always looking for the answer. I had to figure it out. Who do I want to be? What do I want to do? I got to figure it all out so I don't make a mistake. Because if I make a mistake, guess what? Because I was also in that mode. I don't want other people to think maybe I'm not a good leader or I'm not decisive or I'm talking to other people about being great, you know, their purpose, but I can't figure out my own. And I was stuck in inaction. And then when you, you freed me up to say, Hey, action is actually what begets clarity. Like you just said. And, and I actually started thinking, right. If I'm sitting there in a Y in the road in the forest and you know, it says, you know, God's word is like a lamp unto my feet. And I'm just sitting here at a Y. This is what I pictured myself. And I'm just stuck standing there on the, my feet on the dirt, trying to decide whether to go left or right Mm -hmm. for months or even years. Mm -hmm. In doing that, how well am I actually stewarding what God's given me, his love, his partnership, his treasure, his resources, the works that he's prepared for me to do if I'm just sitting there in in action? So whenever I kind of get stuck, uh, Jeff, I actually call back to that conversation we had five years ago. So thank you. Mm. Say, okay, well, I don't know which way to go. And you know what? Sometimes I honestly think God does that on purpose because both ways he can use 
And he also honors free will. And he wants you to go down here. And maybe he wants you to go down this one by mistake for the simple fact that he knows that that's going to equip you, build your character, because he knows exactly how he's going to use that in the next season. Because all of this works together. Clarity comes with action, right? Mm -hmm. And use the word steward. Some people don't know where that word comes from. That's an old feudal term. Uh, again, comes from the King James era of the Bible. They weren't using the word steward in biblical times, but it, what it means is caretaker of something mm -hmm. that's not yours in the Lord of the Rings. You know, some people may be more familiar with that than with, you know, biblical history, which is great. Boromir, uh, so, wasn't he the, who was the caretaker the of Gondor? Steward of Gondor. That's the right. Steward of Gondor. What that means is he's not the king, but yeah. he was, but as steward, he was in charge of the kingdom. And if he said something, it was as if the king had said it. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, right? So people don't understand. This is Again, think about this. This comes from a system where there was a time, which we don't live in anymore. There was a time where there were a few powerful people who benefited from you not trusting yourself, you not trusting that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of you, that you were called more than conqueror, that you are called co-heirs with Christ. I mean, if we want to get into this and talk about self-worth, Christians could use a wake-up call because they are far more than they think they are. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, you have never met a mere human. So when you come to the fork in the road, in the words of Mark Twain, take it. When you come to the fork in the road, take it. You have a lamp unto your feet. Lamps do not cast light very far. What you have to do to keep seeing the path is keep moving, keep walking. Yeah, the circle, I have a picture of a little boy in a dark, scary forest, and the, and the lamp is only a couple feet. So you have to, what it means is also when you're on this journey on the path, you don't know where the path is going. You don't know what's up ahead. If it's a hike up a steep hill, if it's a cross off a river, if it's through a nice, beautiful little bit of prairie, you don't know, right. but you just, and then you're, you keep hitting forks in the road. But I want to bring this back, too, because, you know, all this said, this is so great, and maybe I'd love to have you back on uh, also. But just this concept right now, like, like everything we've shared, applying it to maybe how people are feeling right now, that, hey, what I was doing, all of a sudden, it just feels like walls mm -hmm. were thrown up, I was laid off. Mm -hmm. Our business, you know, personally has transitioned, had uh, evolved into a lot more paid professional speaking doing yeah. a lot of leadership training for teams actually all over the world. I've probably been to six countries in the last year in addition all over the U S um, but all that's been canceled. Yeah. Same. And a really good friend of mine gave me some, you know, great advice I shared with you, right? He said, Hey, listen, when you hit it, when a storm comes, it doesn't mean you change your destination, mm. right? It might mean that you have to change what you're doing and how you're doing it to get to that destination. Yes. And what I'm hearing, which I agree with, is like, this is a time to some of the things that you guys have heard Jeff talk about, yeah. our identity, understanding, I mean, really understanding the nature of God, mm. what that means for you personally. Re you know, a friend of mine said this time to us feels like a forced Sabbath, and I've really worked hard to take advantage of this time to reconnect to some of these things. Mm. Because some of my question was, well, the, what we were doing in business has, has uh, it's not working. It might not work for a long time, but does that mean that we change where we're going? Does that change our mission? Does that change our vision? Does it change what we're trying to create? Mm -hmm. And we actually just sat down with the team this morning, went through 
our vision, mission, and purpose. And I said, you know what? All of us felt that actually none of that has changed. But how we're going to get there, the action, to, we have no clarity at all because mm-hmm. things have changed. But the action to get there is probably is going to be very different. But what, how would you share with people out there? Because you get to talk with so many different people in a lot of different circumstances. How to think about maybe what's happening right now in light of what you've already shared today. My friend Michael Port gave me this great question that I've been sharing. Uh, Michael Port is a, um, he's a trained actor and he um, runs a company called Heroic Public Speaking where they train public speakers. Yeah. I'm a graduate of Heroic yeah. Public Speaking and spent yes. the last year with Michael. And by yeah. the way, I just want to put in a plug. Anybody out there who yeah. wants to be a communicator, you don't even have to be a professional speaker. Yeah. To change your communication skills, Michael and Amy Port. Mm-hmm. become some of my dearest friends and best mentors I've ever had in my life. Yes. Love them very much. Yep. The question is what role is being required of me right now? Mm. So as an actor and I, I've, I've, you know, not, not like Michael, I, I did some stage acting in, in college, but I enjoyed it uh, immensely. And I can understand the analogy of a role, a character. Um, so in life we play different roles, role, father, son, spouse, boss, neighbor, all of these are different roles, same person, different roles, right? Same thing with what we're talking about the soul, right? The soul can manifest itself in your life in a variety of ways. You know, I've had a series of careers and identities that I've worn almost like coats that at different times in my life, I was like, this is it. I'm a writer now. I'm a speaker now. I'm an entrepreneur now. And that was true. And at the same time, it wasn't the whole of who I was. And Mm -hmm. so when crisis hits, It's going to shake things up, of course, but it doesn't mean that it necessarily impacts what I call your true work, which is the deepest expression of who you are as a person. And the way we think about that throughout our life changes, I think. For me, for example, uh, the moniker that I would use more often than not is writer. I'm a writer. Well, let's say publishers stop publishing books. They're not doing that. They're actually publishing more books now. But let's say that happened, that I could no longer publish a book would I be out of a job? Well, if I thought of myself just as a writer, yes. But as I think about my deep work, about what I'm really here to do, what I do in a variety of ways, whether I'm having a conversation with you like we are right now or working on a blog post, something for my own podcast, speaking to a live audience, teaching an online course, writing a book, what am I really doing? I think I'm connecting people to ideas. And that's all I'm ever doing is finding or coming up with ideas and then finding a way to connect those to people who need them to help transform their lives and their work. And so when a crisis hits, we are invited to ask ourselves a few questions. Uh, I think the first question we can ask is, um, how does this force me to get back to my fundamentals? How does this force me to get back to the fundamentals of what I'm really here to do? Meaning, if I can't speak, John, if you can't speak, if you're not a speaker, then what are you? And the truth is, anytime something happens that shakes up a role, that threatens something that we typically have found an identity in, right? Meaning, you think of yourself as a speaker, you can't speak anymore, you go, am I still here? Anytime something happens and and a, a part of yourself, a part of your identity gets threatened, just touch your chest and go, am I still here? Oh, then that means I wasn't really a speaker. That was a role that I played for a time and I did it well, and maybe I'll do it again, but right now I'm being called to play a different role. And there's nothing that threatens 
the me, the self, the soul, the thing that the place where God dwells, right? I'm still here, right? So question number one is- Well, and that is such a healthy place to be because in my youth, I was a, a Navy fighter pilot and yeah. I just gotten orders to go to Top Gun and yeah. I couldn't have been more excited. That was my world. That was my identity. That's who I was. And the next weekend after I got these orders, I was playing softball and I got hit with a line drive in the eye and had nerve damage. Now, here I am a few months later, knocking on doors, trying to, hoping somebody was at home trying to sell a cell phone, and the sounds of my dreams are flying over my head. Yeah. I was absolutely crushed because that was when I, I was at my lowest. I mean, when you have your dream ripped away yeah. from you. But now here's also what happened, though, looking back on it, because it was during that period of time that God led me to a few men that started mentoring me, helping me kind of figure out what I'm good at, get my first job. And it was those guys, they connected, built a relationship, and then they shared their testimony with me and uh, led me to the Lord. And I started going to, back when John Maxwell was a pastor, started going to his church, got to know John Maxwell. Hmm. Now, you, so you think about all these things. Yes. Uh, they ever like, got at my accident. The first thing he said to me was, "All things work together for good mm -hmm. for those that love the Lord." That's the first thing he shared with me. Mm -hmm. But you know, I just wanted to hit pause real quick because anybody yeah. out there that's maybe really stuck or really stressed is just one of the first places to look is where are you allowing, yeah. or choosing to get your identity from. Mm -hmm. You know, and then maybe you reach out to somebody you know, a friend, somebody in your Bible study, somebody who's a few steps ahead of you and say, you know what, I need to do some deep work on myself. I think it's the most important work that we can do, I found, in my opinion, to connect to who you are at your best self, right? Because you said connecting people to ideas. What I've realized is I really connected in this transition, right? My, what I get the most pleasure out of, the joy where I'm at my best, is showing people how to connect to the best version of themselves. And I when they that. can do that, I see what happens in their life. And I realize actually, because I've been focused on some of the marketing and the speaking and things a little bit more business oriented about teams and organizations. Mm. And I've pulled back to my roots, which is I really want to help individuals mm. get to just a place of, coherence mm. and alignment and, and understand, you know, who they really are at the core and, and unchain themselves from some of these lies that have happened throughout their lives that they've accepted as truths, which create mm. how they're viewing and operating everything else in the world. And when you start to make some of those small changes, man, mm. booyah, I can change a company by changing a person. Mm. And so like, you know, you said, Hey, how does this force me force us to get back to my fundamentals? I feel like I love that you just said that because I felt like through this, it's forced me to do that myself. Mm -hmm. It's been huge. Yeah, that's great. So number uh, two, I, <laughs> I, I jumped in there, but I, no, that's good. I just had yeah. to share it because you're getting me all excited. You sure, know? Yeah. And that the forcing to the fundamentals means you're going to have to let go of something, a previous identity. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yep. Even now, even this, the work that I've done, I feel like I'm even releasing some of the things of how people know me that I've developed even over the last year. Mm -hmm. And yeah. if you can let go of an identity and still be you, that's a good letting go. Because you mm -hmm. can always take it back on. You you can always put the coat back on. But if you take the coat off and you're still here, that's a wonderful realization because you are more than you thought you were. You're not just a coat. You're not just a role or a job or a Navy fighter pilot, as yeah. prestigious as that is. So when you do that, that forces you to ask the next question, which is what is my true work? Find your true work. 
And, and your true work is the deepest expression of what you do. It is not you, but it is an expression of you, of your soul, of your self, your identity, however you want to think of it. And we're always peeling back layers. But as you said very eloquently, John, uh, once you get under all the different job descriptions from speaker to coach to encourager to I do this, mm-hmm. and whether I'm with my family or my friends or somebody's paying me thousands of dollars for my time, I'm always doing this in a different modality. I'm connecting people to their truest selves, right? That's when you get down there, you go, oh, there's a tremendous amount of freedom. So first you got to let go of what you think you are because the crisis in some ways took that away from us, uh, layoffs, furloughs, or you know, in the case of you and me, opportunities that we thought were ramping up ramped way down. I should be in Italy right now speaking at a conference and I'm here, which is lovely. I should, as well. You know where I should be right now? In India, my first trip ever to New Delhi to speak at one of the largest leadership conferences in Asia, but not happening. I was really excited for that. And then yeah. I was going to go from there to Rwanda wow. and work with uh, this amazing team of leaders that I've gotten to be able to now coach and mentor remotely. Um, just some amazing people. So, yeah. Yeah. And so here we are doing what we do in a different context. Uh, so the first question is, um, essentially what do I have to, uh, let go of? How can I, how is this forcing me to focus on the fundamentals of what I do? Second question is what is it that I do when the thing that I think I do, I can no longer do or not in the way that I'm used to. Uh, and so what is my true work? And ask some friends, ask people the question, what's obvious to me, in the words of Derek Sivers, what's obvious to me that's Mm. amazing to others? What's something that I do naturally in a lot of different contexts that most people don't do? And then the third question is what I started with, which is what role is being required of me right now? What role is being required of me right now? Uh, And so if you let go of what you thought you were, you find out what your true work is at your core identity. This is what you're here to do. And again, we spend our life figuring this out. So you're just thinking, if I peel back another layer, what's something that I do that I can express in the world today, right? Like what, how can I take on a new role? Not a pivot so much as a new way of doing an old thing. So you don't have to go learn some brand new skill. If you've been doing your work for years and years and years, you've been practicing your craft, I would submit to you that there is a way to practice that skill right now in a way that maybe looks new, may have a new job description, but feels very familiar to you and is just a different mode of expression. And if you do that, uh, all of a sudden, life becomes a bit more of a playground. There's not a fork in the road. You realize you can see an entire field that you're free to run in any direction because you know who you are and what you're here to do. Any direction that you move in is going to be the right direction because you understand your purpose. It's not about taking the next perfect step in exactly the right direction because you know where you're headed and you'll get there when you get there. As Jeff Bezos said of Amazon, we're stubborn on vision, but flexible on details. Now more than ever, we've got to get the vision. We've got to get stubborn about that vision. Here's what I'm here to do. And the details, well, we can flex on those. Mm. Oh, you know, it made me think of somebody that I need to call him today based on this. He's uh, a how do we apply this to what's happening right now? So here, here's a thought. Let me love to get your, your opinion. Uh, a friend of mine, he's a business owner. Uh, he has two companies. One is 
uh, crumbling under the weight of what's happening right now because of what they do. The other one is kind of on life support. He has over 100 employees. One of the things that I've observed in him that he's amazing at, because he's somebody that I go to myself, he's a mentor. He has the ability to not, not only because he's so wise, but to ask questions at a level that other people don't, to get right down to that core of the matter. When he asks that one question, you're like, oh, I wish you hadn't asked me that one, right? And so, like I'm thinking about, right, his fundamentals are his ability to just serve other people and help them through this, right? His deepest work, I think, is really, you know, mentoring and equipping people. And the role that's being required to him is not only CEO and boss, but it's leaning into that role as friend and mentor, even though he's probably faced right now this week with making some really hard decisions. And I think as he really connects to who he is at the core, and it's going to be hard. I know it is for a lot of people to go through some of the things that have to happen right now. Because when we go through adversity, and, and all of us have been through, I've been through a lot of adversity in my life, different things. Nothing ever stays status quo. Mm-hmm. In the adversity, the choices you make, what you're doing, the, how you're spending your time, how you're changing your thinking, you're either going to emerge stronger and get better, or you're going to go backwards and get weaker, and things are going to be different and not in a good way. You know, when we're in a moment like this, the mm-hmm. good news is we have a choice. And there's incredible people like Jeff, and I, I would recommend everybody, as I was doing a lot of this deep work myself, that's when somebody gave me your book, The Art of Work. I would recommend people read that book. It is incredibly helpful about answering some of those questions about what your true work is, how do you apply it, what does it look like as you bring it out into the world. Mm. So I just wanted to put that out there as, you know what, even regardless of our role, these three questions are still relevant they're not just relevant for maybe that person who you might put in the author, coach, speaker, you know, running a, you know, bucket. I just wanted to make sure that this, what you're talking about is, is much broader than, than that. Yes. Yeah. It's a wonderful time to reinvent yourself, whether you wanted to or not. And the truth is that life is filled with change and we often hit these moments of stability when we lie to ourselves, when we tell ourselves a nice little myth, which is that think we just need to keep things good. Things are good now. We're just going to keep them this way forever. And that never happens. And the best analogy that <laughs> I can think good of, doesn't always get gooder. Never. No, <laughs> good has to become worse for it to become even better. Mm. Right. And it's just because we've called something good that just is not good or bad. It just is right. You would never say to your seven-year-old, just stay seven. I mean, maybe you might jokingly, but that's not going to happen because uh, eight comes after seven, you know, and seven, eight, nine, uh, you know, like it's, um, it just keeps going. And what if we looked at our lives and our work as a series of ebbs and flows instead of this is good, meaning I'm at this point that I, I told myself a story. This is what success looks like. This was the goal. And now I got there and I'm just expecting that things will keep moving in this direction. Well, that's absurd. That actually never happens. And it shouldn't because that's not the way of things, right? Summer doesn't stay summer forever. That's not how it works. Well, do you live in San Diego? Is that where you live? I used to. It yeah, was yeah. pretty much year round. Yeah. But I'm in Colorado <laughs> now, so yeah. There's, but that's not a real place, and you pay for it. <laughs> yeah, but 
that is how life works, you know, life and death and resurrection. And when we embrace those themes in our life and in our work, we can even look at moments of change, which we might call crisis. We can look, look at moments of change. There's pain, there's hardship, there's frustration, there's disappointment. And we can look at it with excitement. And go, I wonder what's going to happen after this. I wonder what's going to happen right now. Because something good is happening in the change because life is change. And if things were not changing, you'd be dead. Such a great perspective. So, Jeff, for people to connect with you, how do they find you? Where are you? Goins Writer, is that the best website? Yeah, go to my blog, goinswriter.com, like coins but with a G or groins without the R, as they reminded me in middle school. Now you won't be able to forget it. Goinswriter.com. And uh, any recent books or projects that you've come out with or coming out with? I wrote a book uh, uh, recently called Real Artists Don't Starve. And it is a book for any person who thinks of their work as creative. So writers, artists, creative entrepreneurs. And it picks a fight with the idea that you have to starve for your passion, that you cannot take your greatest creative gift and share it with the world and make a living off of it. Well, I love that. And you know, the email that you sent out, can I, I want to read the quote that you put in here because it inspired me. You said, this is precisely the time when artists go to work. There is no time for despair, no place for self-pity, no need for silence, no room for fear. We speak, we write, we do language, and that is how civilizations heal. And I thought that was powerful, man. You know, people that have something to say, there's a message or something at your core, even if it's one person out there around you, your friends, your family, just putting it out there might be maybe the one thing that they needed to get through the day. When I was recovering from my accident, sometimes there was days that were so bad, I would take the pain meds and it only lasts for about 45 minutes and I couldn't take, you know, you only can take them every four hours because I had 25 surgeries over the course of two years. And sometimes I'd, I'd only want to get through the next five minutes, right? And sometimes that one person would come in with an encouraging word or as I recovered, they were saying, hey, you know what? Next month can be better than today or a year from now, it's going to be better than today. And you know what? Sometimes in the short term, it was hard to hold on to that hope. But when I moved it out a little bit farther, you know what? It's something I never let go of because I always believed in the promises the Lord had for me and that everything was going to work together, that he did love me, that I was loved, and that it was going to be better. Now, that doesn't mean that didn't guarantee me happiness, but I also realized in all of this, the concept of joy, which was new to me, was, was an inner thing, just like Paul and Silas, who just got the complete, just got the heck beat out of them, and they're, they got caned and whipped, and they're sitting in a prison cell, and they're singing. I remember reading that verse going, I would love to meet those cats, man. I, I want what they had, and guess what? We can have what they had right now in the present. And if it's missing and it's not there, find people, people like Jeff, other people, you know, Michael Port, that can sow life into your life and give you that courage to maybe, if you're sitting at that Y in the road and you're staring down at the lamp, the courage just to take that next small step. That's all you need. Just take the next small step. Good word, John. I like it. All right. Any final thoughts, Jeff, before we sign off? 
No, it was wonderful. I love what you shared. It reminded me of this uh, Mary Oliver quote. Oh, that quote that you shared was a, not my quote. It's by Toni Morrison. Lovely quote. This is precisely the time when we go to work is what she said. Uh, and I love that line from one of Mary Oliver's poems. The world offers itself to your imagination. So in the middle of a crisis, understand that the world is offering itself to your imagination. And whatever you imagine, whatever you envision, there's an opportunity and it may be hard to see, but that's what this moment is for, such a time as this. Beautiful. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for what you do. I'd really encourage people to plug into Jeff. Uh, Your books have been just inspiring for me and helpful. And I love that you poured your life into your role, your talents, your strengths, because you know what? Uh, You've helped a lot more people than just me. And that's pretty awesome. Thanks, John. 